This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. For those who were here in February, um, you would remember that I did a series called You Are More Than What You Think. And um, we talked about the concept that we have an identity in Christ and that we have an authority in Christ that is more than what we think it was. And we talked about not being an orphan or a slave anymore, but being adopted, being a son and a daughter of the Most High God, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we talked about what that authority was that that gave us. And as we talked about the authority, we talked about um, that we are citizens of heaven. And this morning, I'm going to be expounding on that concept that we are citizens of heaven and my title for today's message I'm going to pick up from my previous series and I'm calling it you are more than what you see this morning I want us to begin to have kingdom thinking Um, as we talked about in February that was kingdom thinking and this morning I want us to begin to recognize our kingdom seeing the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 17 to 20 says this Join one another in following my example, brothers, and carefully observe those who live according to the pattern we set before you. For as I have often told you before, and now declare even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. You know, we are a people living here on earth, but are citizens in heaven. Amen? And sometimes we, we forget what that citizenship looks like and what that means. And we are living in the enemy's camp, but God says that we are not to assimilate to the enemy's methods or his mindset. We've, unfortunately, though, over the years, accidentally, we've taught people how to um, survive in the enemy's camp instead of teaching them how to bring the kingdom of God to earth so they can overcome. You know, I believe that um, God, you know, when you think of a football game, there's a halftime in the game, right? And during that halftime, if the team is not... uh, they're not, they're falling behind, they're not getting the goals they're supposed to be getting, maybe they're not playing the game that they're supposed to be playing, the coach will pull them half time and he'll huddle with them and he'll start to say, okay, this is what you've been doing in the past, this is what you've been doing maybe wrong, maybe that's not the right game plan, but this is half time and he starts to motivate and he starts to encourage and he starts to speak into his team, he starts to give them new games, a new strategy plan so that they can go forward with, with momentum, that they can go forward with strength, that they can go forward with courage into that halftime and hopefully win the game. Amen? And I believe that, that this morning there's, a, there's a, a heart of God that is saying to his people that you have assimilated into the enemy's camp. You've taken on his methods. You've taken on his mindsets. But I'm coming and I'm huddling with you this morning. It's halftime. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to rise up as Christians. It's time for us to move forward and to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth that we would impact our earth for God. 
Amen? And God is wanting to come in to encourage us. And the reason why he wants to come and encourage us is he says this, is that as citizens of heaven, we live here but with all of heaven's rights, privileges, and obligations. And for many of you who might be here sitting with a, a certificate or a diploma or a degree, often at the, it says that this degree is conferred upon and it says your name and it says what the degree is and then usually below it, it says with all of its rights, privileges, and obligations. But sometimes because we forget of the, our citizenship in heaven, we assimilate as citizens here on earth and we want God's, all of his rights and all of his privileges, but we forget about the obligations. And if we forget about God's obligations, then we accidentally lose out on his rights and privileges. We don't lose our salvation, but it's like he puts our certificate, our diploma, our degree on hold, and he says, but you must fulfill, fulfill the obligations in order to continue to access the rights and the privileges. You know, God this morning is wanting to um, allow people to recognize that although we are living here, our real citizenship is in heaven, and God can't be mocked with what we do here on earth. If we are here this morning and we're assimilating into the enemy's camp, but we still want God's rights and privileges without the obligations, then what we're, what we're effectively doing is we're mocking God. We're saying that God can't see what I'm doing. God can't hear what I'm saying. God isn't looking upon what I'm doing. But God, I still want you to love me, and he does, but I want to feel that love. God, I want you to protect me. God, I want you to provide for me. God, I want you to do this, that, and the next thing. But we don't want to do what God is asking us to do. And so then we end up coming to church and we struggle. We say, God, why can't I feel your joy? Why can't I feel your love? And do you know the Bible says that Jesus was anointed with joy because he loved righteousness, but he hated wickedness. Do we hate wickedness this morning? Do we hate the sin that the enemy is teaching the people in his kingdom? I believe that God is saying that we can't have one without the other. He says that if we assimilate into the enemy's camp, that we become an enemy of the cross. We become an enemy of the very thing that Jesus used to pay for our sins, the thing that Jesus used to pay for the curse that was set upon us when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And you know, God doesn't come and speak these things to us to condemn us. He comes and he speaks these things to us that we might be free. For us to sit here and hear the possibility 
that what we're doing or what we're seeing or what we're participating in can be a mockery of God is a really hard truth. But do you know that Jesus' love is so loving that he tells us the truth, even when it's hard to hear? Have you ever had to tell a child something that was really hard for them to hear because you love them? Did you ever have to lay down boundaries and standards and rules and say, I need to do this for you because you can't see what's going to happen if you don't do these? And, and God, that's how he lays down his boundaries and his rules. He does it so that we actually can, can know and feel and be in his love. He doesn't want us to get hurt. He doesn't want us to uh, be outside of those things that he has established for us so that we can receive all of those rights and privileges that is ours because of our citizenship in heaven. You know, the Bible clearly states that, um, and as I said earlier, that God cannot be mocked. And literally that means that judgment delayed is not judgment denied. And judgment there doesn't mean um, in the condemnation sense, which means you can't change. You're judged, and that's the way you're going to be forever. But it's a decision for or against something. And so at halftime, God comes to us, and he says, okay, listen. This is what you were playing before. This is the strategy that you were using before. But this is halftime, and the enemy is prevalent. He is out there. He is roaring like a lion, and he wants, he's seeking whom he wants to devour, and he wants to isolate and take you down so that you cannot finish your game, that you cannot finish your race. But he comes in alongside, and he says, okay, let's make a judgment against those strategies that you've been using before, and they're not working. And let's begin to set in front of you strategies that will work for you, strategies that are going to help you to come into a place where you can receive my rights and my privileges. You've got something in your back pocket that you haven't known before, and it's God's rights and privileges. Um, the Apostle Paul said, carefully observe and live according to the pattern that we set for you. So if we set our mind on earthly things, it will be our destruction. But if we set our minds on heavenly things, on our citizenship, then scripture goes on to say we will be changed into Christ's image of glory. You know, we are to move by the rhythm of another kingdom and become more than what we see on earth. You know, we tend to live from what we see, so the question we want to ask ourselves this morning in terms of our, our previous game plan is, whose kingdom are we seeing and emulating this morning? That's only a question that each individual one of you can answer. What are you seeing and emulating this morning? Number two, we tend to speak from how we see. So has your vision of the gospel become blurred? Sometimes we can tell what we've been thinking and taking in and seeing by what we're speaking. A great quote from um, Chris 
and I always mispronounce his last name, it's Vlaten, it says, the kingdom you believe you have within you will be the kingdom you reproduce around you. Therefore, what you believe about yourself will determine how you behave. I believe that our inner thoughts, the things we're silently speaking over ourselves day in and day out, manifest themselves in our relationships, our careers, and our destinies. You know, I was recently, I think it was yesterday, I happened across a Facebook posting that said this, I used to wonder what people were thinking until I went on Facebook and now I don't care. <laughs> the things that we're seeing, the things that we're taking in, the things that we are speaking over ourselves is often what we speak out. Amen? So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we have kingdom thinking and kingdom seeing so that we have kingdom speaking. Today I want to share how our citizenship perspective impacts two areas of our lives. Number one, our relationships, and number two, our destinies. So it impacts us because we tend not to really see things as they are, but see things as we think we are. So if you take the example of the Rorschach test, the ink blot, you guys remember that or know of that in psychology, they give you the they show you the ink blot, and because it's basically, there's nothing there, it's just an ink blot, then whatever you see in it and whatever you think it is, then you just speak that out. That's your perspective. Um, but we, so we tend to see in the, in the ink blot what we, what we are. So what you, what in psychology, when you describe the ink blot, then the psychologist picks up on just little innuendos and different perspectives, uh, perceptions that you might have so that they can kind of get a feel for um, what you might be thinking or feeling on the inside, even if you're not aware of it. So we tend to see things not as they are, but as we think we are. Uh, Stephen Covey says this, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. Our perception is shaped by our previous experiences. So when we open our mouths to describe what we see, we in effect describe ourselves, our perceptions, and our perspectives. So let's take a look at the impact on our relationships when we tend to see things as they, not as they are, but see things as we think we are. Um, individual relationships, so for example, there's a story of the Pharisees with the adulterous woman. And the Pharisees, of course, had dragged her out, not the man, of course, just her, and brought her out um, at sunrise with all of the, all the people around and Jesus, and they bring, bring her before Jesus, and they are asking Jesus to condemn her and to stone her. And so the Pharisees were looking at her. They were seeing her from the way that they were actually on the inside. So the Pharisees, although they were a very holy people and a very looked up to people in that day and that age, we've come to recognize that the Pharisees were very legalistic. They had a lot of rules. They, went, they had rules beyond what God had established. And so they saw the adulterous woman out of a heart of law, and they wanted to see her stoned. So let's look how, how, how Jesus saw her, though. So Jesus, he looked at her, and he didn't want to stone her. He had a heart of love, and he wanted to give her grace and forgiveness. You see how in our relationships, we can tend to look at people either through the eyes of law or the eyes of grace and forgiveness. And you know, the amazing thing is, is that after all of the people around heard that Jesus was going to forgive her sins and they threw down their stones and they walked away. 
this adulterous woman, because of the way Jesus saw her, because of the way he thought of her and the way he spoke to her, she stayed around to hear what he then still had to say to her. She stayed around to hear, daughter, you're forgiven, now go and sin no more. You've repented, go and sin no more. Don't we want to stay around people and around Jesus when he's able to speak to us from a heart of love, not a heart of law and condemnation? That's the kind of heart that we want in our individual relationships. You know, what I want to say this morning is don't expect others to see you the way Jesus sees you. Many have earthly vision, not heavenly vision. Let's take a look at community and world relationships. Um, an example, again, is the Apostle Paul. He was a zealous murderer who killed Christian because of who he saw himself to be. He was an upholder of the Jewish law. So the Apostle Paul was the Pharisee of all Pharisees before Jesus Christ got a hold of him. And in that, that zealousness, in that upholding of the law, he actually killed Christians. So he tended to see Christians the way he saw himself. And um, so this is how he was dealing with his, his community. This is how he was dealing with his world relationships. And then we look at, in contrast, how Jesus saw the Apostle Paul to be. Uh, he saw Paul as a potential apostle and life giver of the gospel of grace to those outside of God's covenant. Isn't that amazing that you can potentially be dealing with people in such a way that you can't even see who you really are. It's just who you are in the moment that you're projecting onto somebody else. But in that place, not just between relationships, but Jesus Christ, he comes and he speaks to you as an individual and he says, what you think you're seeing, what you think you are, that's not really who you are either. The Apostle Paul was, was a murderer. He was zealous to kill the Christians. And yet Jesus has a heart for him and sees something more of him and says, you know what, Apostle Paul, or Saul actually at the time, and he, turns, he, has, he changes his name to Apostle Paul, he says, I actually see you as one who's actually going to proclaim such a profound message of grace that it's even going to go outside of your community and it's going to touch the world. You're sitting here this morning because of Jesus and because Jesus saw something more in the Apostle Paul, more than what the Apostle Saul saw even of himself. Amen? So not only does seeing things the way we are tend to affect our relationship, it also affects our perspective of our destiny. I just want to share this story. Um, but before I do, I just want to say this, that um, when affecting our destiny, it causes us to see our death and not our destiny. That's how um, having a, a, a citizenship, a perspective of a citizenship of heaven can affect our destiny. Um, last summer, I was driving near our home, and the road that I have to travel on was Highway 15. Some of you may know it. And in this particular portion of Highway 15, it does like a little sneaky thing. So you kinda, you, you're kind of coming around a corner down a hill, and then you're going to curve into another corner. So as I'm coming down the hill, and there's other cars coming up on the other side, I see this squirrel starting out from one side to the other. 
So he's all like, you can see the squirrel standing on this side as I'm starting to come down the hill. And, and you can, it almost looks like the squirrel is going, should I or shouldn't I? Am I going to make it across or am I not? And, and so he, he definitely starts to make it across. And you can see he just, he humps up his back and his tail's all fluffed out. And, and he's like starting to scurry across the road. And he gets halfway and you can see that he's now noticed that my car is there and that there are other cars coming up because his eyes look like they're bugging out of his head. And he pauses and it's almost like you can see the thought bubble over his head. Am I going to make it? Can I do it? Should I go back? Shouldn't I go back? Um, and he actually does choose to go back to the other side of the road. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that I could see from my perspective that that little squirrel would have actually had time to, to get to the other side of the road. But from his perspective, he couldn't tell that. So he was halfway there, and he got into a state of fear saying, can I make it? Can I not make it? And he actually chose to go back instead of going ahead. But who here knows it takes just as much time to go back as it does to go the other half of the way. I believe this morning God wants to speak that to you that you are halfway, and there is this moment in time where you're wondering, should I, am I going to make it? Should I go back? Should I stay? Should I go? And I think God is wanting to give you a perspective of your citizenship of heaven and saying, you're going to make it. Keep going forward. Let me encourage you that you're going to get there. Um, there are two distinct things that will try to destroy our destiny. Number one, is earthly-minded people will try to kill it. Um, let's take a look at, it's a reading, Luke 4, 18 to 22, and verse 24, and it's Jesus reading in the temple, Isaiah 61, about who he was. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you know, their response was this, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So other earthly-minded people will try to kill our destinies because, you know, Jesus came from a small town. It was a small town of about 400, and it was called Nazareth. And everybody knew Jesus. Everybody knew Jesus as the son of Mary and the son of jo Joseph the carpenter. They knew who he was. They had walked with him for 30 years. And they had gotten so familiar with Jesus that when he spoke this over himself, they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? How many of you here this morning that you are more than what you see, but something or somebody in your life is trying to declare to you, you're just ordinary. Aren't you just so-and-so? Aren't you so-and-so's daughter? Aren't you so-and-so's um, sister? Aren't you the one who did this in the past? Aren't you just so-and-so? You know, another example is when Jesus met Nathaniel, who he was going to call as a disciple. And Nathaniel said to him, you know, is this really Jesus? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Is Jesus really the Son of God? 
You know, some of us this morning, we've, we've come from a small place maybe. Our lives might look like Nazareth to us. And we could say, can anything good come from my life? Could that possibly be a calling on my life? Could there be more than what I see? You know, if you take example of the stars, um, who here knows that the stars are actually out there right now? That it's, they don't disappear. <laughs> when the light comes out, when the sun comes out, the stars don't disappear. Uh, the light just is, is a greater light than that of the stars. And so the stars are still there, and then when it gets dark, the stars start to show up again, right? You know, um, sometimes if we get used to something, we tend to overlook and forget its brilliance. People can be so familiar with you that you can be overlooked, that you can seem or look ordinary to somebody else, and it's hidden. Your, it, your brilliance is still there, but other people might not see it. But God comes alongside of us, and he says, you're more than what you see. You're brilliant. And he wants us to shine for him, amen? Number two, the enemy and his cohorts will try to kill our destiny. Taking a look at a story of Elijah and Jezebel in 1 Kings 19, 1-3, and it says this, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. You know, Jezebel intimidated Elijah by causing him to see his demise. It said when he saw it, he wasn't just thinking it, he actually saw it. So what uh, Elijah was doing, this great prophet who had killed all the, pro all the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, and here's this woman, Jezebel, who can intimidate him with words. You're thinking, how is that possible that this one woman after he just comes from having a tremendous victory for God. How can she intimidate him with some words? It's because he began to see the words and he began to imagine what that would look like. How many of you here this morning, the enemy is trying to cause you to feel like your destiny is dying, that it's not going to come to pass because he has spoken something to you either directly or through another, and he's causing you to picture, he's causing you to have imaginations of what that will look like. That will, sh will short-circuit the work of God in your life like nothing else. Seeing what you think the enemy is doing to you. You know, um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have thoughts that take me to places that, and keep me there a lot longer than I, I want to be kept there, you know. Um, in our day and in our age, anxiety and fear is huge. There's so much of it. There's, it's so prevalent. And I counsel often, and I've counseled for a lot of years at this stage, and anxiety and fear, fear being number one, is, is so prevalent in people's lives, and it has slowly increased over the years. And, and often, that's often all I'm seeing is, is people dealing with this anxiety and this fear. And, you know, I'm going to describe it that I'm sure probably everybody here has experienced. You know, you go to sleep at night, 
You go into a sleep, and then something wakes you. And boom, there's this, your heart's racing, and there's anxiety, and there's fear, and suddenly your, your thoughts are moving forward, and you've got these imaginations going on in the middle of the night. The enemy loves to um, catch us in the middle of the night because we're at our most vulnerable there. That's also when God will speak to us the most deeply at times. It's when our defenses are down that, one, we can either allow the enemy to have access or God's voice to have access. But often these days, it seems to be because we're assimilating into the enemy's camp that it's the enemy's voice that are going. And, you know, um, I described it as almost like a horse race commentary of, and they're off. You know, the first thought has made a strong start with the second thought close behind. And worry is now following. Anxiety is at the back. And fears are just ahead. Second guessing and doubt are stretching to catch up. We know that race. <laughs> we know that commentary, right? You know, you don't just hear the enemy's voice. We tend to see the enemy's voice through our imaginations. So the enemy knows that if he can get us to think negatively and imagine it, then he, and I want to walk through five different things, he can cause us to, number one, lose our focus. A cinnamon, uh, a synonym, not cinnamon, (laughs) a cinnamon, (laughs) a synonym of focus is sharpness of vision, clear center point. The verb of that is a person, of a person or their eyes, adapting to the prevailing level of light and becoming able to see clearly. So our vision changes according to the level of the light of the gospel that we have. We are more than what we see. We're citizens here on earth, but we're citizens in heaven with all of its rights and privileges as we perform the obligations. And we don't want to lose that level of knowledge of the gospel that we have so that we can see as clearly and with as sharpness of vision as we can. But the enemy wants us to lose that focus. He wants the gospel to become blurred so that we can't see clearly. Um, three common antonyms of focus are the words ignore, divide, and disperse. So divide and conquer. The enemy loves to divide us and to conquer us. And the Bible says that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And who here knows that the, the enemy's house is not divided? He's very strategic. He's quite united in his attack of, of our mind here on earth. But often we can't become divided and we get conquered because we're divided against ourselves or we're divided against one another, maybe in our marriage or a family, even in a church. And God wants us to lose, or not God, but the enemy wants us to lose our focus so that he can divide and he can conquer us. Number two he causes us to, um, to become confused. So a question, uh, who you are and what your purpose is that you normally have, suddenly you, you start to question that. Suddenly you start to question your identity in God. Suddenly you start to question the love of God. So, suddenly you start to question your purpose and your destiny. And just like, you know, in the Garden of Eden, the enemy came to Eve and he said, has God said... Has God said that you can't eat of this tree? You know, the enemy loves to come and cause us to question what God has purposed and destined us to. And that's how he can start to steal our destiny. 
A third thing that it causes us to do is lose hope for change and cause you to feel, number four, like you failed or are a failure, which ultimately, number five, causes us to retreat. First Kings 19 and 4, and again, we're, we're speaking of Elijah. It says this, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, not up into the mountains, but down into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You know, Elijah just traveled through all five points the moment that he saw what Jezebel said to him. So he, went, he lost his focus. He became confused. He lost his hope for change, and, and it caused him to feel like a failure or that he had failed. And ultimately, it caused him to retreat. You know, the enemy knows that the battlefield is of our mind. So he wants to make sure that we have an, a, an earthly mindset, not a heavenly mindset. He wants to keep us from knowing that we are citizens of heaven so that he can divide and conquer our minds and cause us to retreat. You know, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience of Christ. You know, God wants to change our mindsets, our thinking, so he can change what we see you know, years ago, um, there used to be uh, psychological warfare that the U.S. would do in Viet Vietnam. And what they would do is they would use this propaganda thing where at night when the Vietnamese were very vulnerable and uh, defenseless, it was dark and they had been fighting all day, they were tired, they would try to, try to keep them up at night by bombarding them with psychological warfare. So they would fly over, overhead and with these loudspeakers of um, different things about their families, like they would have children crying um, as if their, their families were calling them back home, come home, we miss you, we need you, we're in danger. You know, it was just psychological warfare trying to, to um, battle against their minds. And uh, an author in Art of War, there's a book called The Art of War, and it states this, one need not destroy one's enemy. One only needs to destroy their willingness to engage. Isn't that powerful? The enemy comes against our minds because he wants us to retreat so that we're no longer engaging in life and we're no longer bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. 2 Kings 6, 15 to 17 says this, and I'm speaking of Elisha and his servant that were surrounded by the enemy. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, and behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, and the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha 
I am praying that God will open our eyes, that we are more than what we see. We live as citizens on earth, but we are citizens in heaven with all of its rights, with all of its privileges. But what I am saying to you today, if you are living a lifestyle in such a way that you are not fulfilling the obligations that Christ has set out in his covenant before you, the enemy will isolate you, the enemy will affect you, and the enemy can take you down if this morning, this this is your halftime. Jesus is saying to you, I cannot be mocked. I see it. I know it. I'm asking you to change it because I love you. I want to pull you back into the boundaries of my covenant so that you can access every right and privilege as a son, as a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to be your protector. I want to be your provider. I want to be the one that gives you the joy. I want to be the one that gives you the peace, but I can't do it if you will not go by my game plan, and my rules, and my strategy. I'm going to end this morning. I had a couple of things um, to, to apply it. I'm just going to read to, I'm going to go through it really, really quickly. Application, refocus. Shift your perspective from earthly to heavenly. Number two, understand the fear you feel the fear you feel or the demise you see is really the enemy's fear and demise. Do you know this morning that the enemy is afraid and he was trying to put that on me? But do you know what? He just gave a living example of what he's trying to do, but what God is trying to declare over his people. So if you feel fear, I'm going to tell you this morning that that is not real. It's an imagination. It's the enemy's fear that you're going to come into a place where you understand who you are, what you have, and you're going to kick him out. So if you have fear or anxiety in your life, that actually belongs to the enemy. Put it back on him, and you walk with the full authority that Jesus Christ has given you. Amen? I'm going to call the worship team back up, and I'm going to call the ushers forward. We're going to end this morning with communion. I think that's pretty amazing that we're going to take a symbol of the covenant. I'm going to speak this last thing, and it's to trust and let go and let God. You know, this past year, it's been actually a, a, a difficult year for me uh, with a personal situation that was happening in my life. And in that particular situation, I had to, I had to trust what I would have said were untrustworthy people was something that was very vulnerable to me. And I struggled with that for the longest time. And, and I would think that I, I got victory over it and that I was, I was trusting and I, and I would be okay. And I'm like, God, you got me. God, you're protecting me. God, you've got my back. God, you, I know you love me. I know I'm your daughter. I know you're for me. You're not against me. Um, and I would, I, you know, I'd be speaking those things over myself, but the enemy was still coming and bombarding me with these, these things in the middle of the night, and I can't trust them. I can't trust them not to, to say or do certain things with this vulnerable part of my life. And um, one night, God reminded me of something that had taken place when my family had gone down to visit um, the Grand Canyon. My daughter... My youngest daughter, who's 21, I have four. This is my youngest. She's kind of an adrenaline junkie in many ways. She wants to be a fighter pilot, and she's been in 
provincial gymnastics so she can do flips on a four-inch beam and land <laughs> and doesn't scare her one bit well she was 16 at the time and if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon there are places that have railing which is really really good when you're a parent and then there are places and precipices that they, they allow you to go out on, but it's at your own risk, and there is no railing. My 16-year-old daughter wanted to go out on this precipice. I am panicking, just panicking. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But something was happening in the natural that was also happening in her life and in my, my parenting of her, and it was this, that God was trying to teach me to let go and trust her. So I let her go out on this precipice. She's standing out there and then sitting on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And 11 people a year fall over the side of the Grand Canyon. Thankfully, I didn't see that sign until we left. <laughs> but I was so anxious and panicked that even when she came back to safety and she was fine, I woke up in my hotel room that night and I was so fearful. I, I, my heart was beating, I'm racing, my mind, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to calm myself down and I'm saying, it's okay, she's safe now, she's safe, we're never going back, we're never doing that again, it's okay, she's here, she's alive, nothing has happened. Um, but it was, I had to trust my 16-year-old daughter that she was entering into a stage in her life that I was no longer going to be able to put those railings and those boundaries and those protections around her. And I had to learn to trust her. And what I realized in that moment, but that it wasn't her that I didn't trust. It was all the other people that were going out on the precipice in flip-flops, children, not moving carefully, not being cautious. And I was so afraid that although she was safe sitting on the side of the Grand Canyon, not doing anything silly, not doing anything ridiculous, but I was afraid that somebody else would come and accidentally bump her, accidentally do something that would cause her to go over. And it was, it was them that I had to trust. And God applied it to this moment that I wanted to share with you that you know with this vulnerable moment in my life this vulnerable season in my life this last year that I had to trust untrustworthy people and he reminded me of the Grand Canyon thing and he said you know what Rachel you might actually not be able to trust them but you can trust me you have to be able to trust a trustworthy God to trust others. I felt this morning as I was preparing, uh, reading over my notes, that trust was a big thing for some of you this morning. The, the enemy has caused you re to retreat from life and to disengage from life, and you're no longer trusting other people because you're no longer trusting God. Do you know, it's an amazing principle that we ask God to trust us, but we don't trust Him. How can God trust us with the kingdom riches? How can God trust us with the beauty of the gospel and the revelations of the gospel? 
don't trust Him. God wants to trust a people who's trusting Him and He wants to have it a reciprocal relationship. Amen? This morning I feel like God is saying that He wants some of you to re-engage in the battle. Re-engage in the fight by trusting. But it's not people or circumstances or situations you're trusting. You're trusting His character. He wants to open your eyes that there is more than what you see. You know, Isaiah 61 and 2 says this, God sent me to announce the year of His grace in a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies. Psalm 1, 110 and 1 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. I believe that God, we've recognized His grace, but this morning we need to recognize that God is ready to take vengeance on His enemies. Not people in the spiritual realm by casting down imaginations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.